you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to two places this morning. One is Isaiah chapter 11. Find that, stick your finger there. And then also Hebrews chapter 1. Reading Hebrew, uh, excuse me, Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5, and then Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. We're beginning our series on Advent this morning. So Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by what his eyes see or, dis- or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter 1, our New Testament reading, reading verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. As you do, if you would please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and honoring in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, this past week, Stephanie and I took a trip to Nashville. And if you have ever traveled east on I-40 in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years, maybe more, uh, you know that it takes a long time uh, to get uh, between here and Memphis. Uh, Thankfully, uh, we took a detour onto uh, Highway 70. We didn't have to stop, uh, thankfully. But um, uh, it usually takes about five to six hours to get from here to Nashville. And as you can imagine, as you travel with small children, there was a question that was asked frequently from the back. And it happened when, I don't know, maybe we were an hour down the road, maybe a, you know, one-fifth into our journey. You know the question, I hear the chuckles. It's, are we there yet? <laughs> no, we just started. Of course, we're not there yet. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be a long time. 
please do not ask that question again. I don't know what it is about that question. It's like nails on a chalkboard, though, isn't it? it I, I understand why they ask it. They wanted to get there. They were excited. They were anticipating being at Lala and Bebo's house, which is uh, their name for, for Stephanie's mom and, uh, and stepdad, uh, Lala and Bebo. Um, they were waiting. They were anticipating. They had been uh, prepared to go to their house, and they knew that it was going to be a great time. They were excited to get there. Uh, this is the feeling that we have, uh, or that we should have during Advent, this feeling of, of excited anticipation. Christ is coming. We should be asking the question, is he here yet? Is he here yet? Um, it's exciting. Uh, the season of Advent is all about waiting. It's about preparation, uh, getting ready for his coming. Every week we're going to light another candle. We're going to focus on a different aspect uh, of Christ's coming as we prepare for the birth of our King. The people of Israel were waiting. They were anticipating the coming of their Messiah. And our waiting and anticipating is a little different from theirs. Uh, we're, coming at it at, we're coming at it from do, two different perspectives. They were looking forward. We are looking back. But here's the question. We understand the period of preparation before Christmas because we know that Christ was born. But the question is, how did the Israelites know to wait to prepare for the coming of their king? And that's what we're going to look at this morning because the answer is prophecy. The answer is prophecy. God had been telling them from the beginning to get ready because their king, their savior, was going to come. So what is prophecy? We lit the prophet candle this morning, the prophecy candle, also uh, known as the hope candle, which is um, uh, uh, very important for us. So what is this prophecy? It's God speaking to his people in a way that they can understand regarding his plan for the things that are to come. Now, we may not understand what that plan actually is, how it's going to play out, but it's God speaking to us in a very tangible way, in a way that we can understand. Uh, in the Old Testament, God used his prophets as his mouthpiece. And you can read about all the prophets that, that are uh, written about in the Old Testament. There's Elijah, Elisha, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jonah. And what God does is most often He uses these prophets to warn His people. To warn His people regarding God's impending judgment on sin. Because God's judgment on sin is real. So you remember Samuel. Samuel the prophet warning the people of Israel when they came to him. And they wanted a king just like all the other nations. And he warns them, well, this is what a king is going to do. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to take the, the best of what you have. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. And what happens? It happened just as Samuel had said. Uh, remember the prophet Nathan warning David regarding the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba. If you remember this story, uh, Nathan comes to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And, um, and uh, he tells him the story of the, this man who comes and has this little lamb and, 
and a, a fellow landover comes and, and asks for that one little lamb. Um, and what Nathan says is that you are the man in this story. And he warns them about what will happen regarding this sin. And lo and behold, what happens? It comes true. Prophets warned the nation of Israel constantly because of their sin, because of their uh, worshiping other idols. The prophecy that was that Assyria was going to come and to judge and to take them away into exile. And what happened? What happened? Prophets warned the nation of Judah, Babylon is going to come and judge you and take away you into exile. That happened as well. The point of many of the prophets was to warn the people to turn from their evil ways and to turn back to the Lord. This warning. But not only did God warn, but He also gave people hope. Not only did He warn the nation of Judah that they would be taken away into exile, taken away to Babylon, but He also gave them hope. Now while they were in Babylon, false prophets came and they said that God was going to lead them back out of exile very quickly. But God, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, said, yes, I will be bringing you back, but not yet. Jeremiah 29, verses 10-14, through 14, one, of, one of these verses is very famous. It says, For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. We know that's true. God brought him back. And in other words, what he's saying here is that I will lead you out of captivity. I will bring you back. But settle in. It's going to be a little while. In fact, it was 70 years. Now, God offered hope to the nation of Judah in bringing them back out of exile, but the greatest hope that He offered His people through the prophets is this, the coming of their King, the Messiah, the coming of Christ. You know, there's over, depending on how you look at it and which scholar you talk to, uh, there's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Christ, of the coming of the Messiah, and He fulfilled all of them. And it starts way back in the beginning. It starts in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. This proto-euangelion. If it's really important, we attach a Latin name to it. So the, the first declaration of the gospel, of the good news here, in Genesis 3, verse 15, where Jesus, uh, excuse me, where God is talking to the serpent and He prophesies, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We know that the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. Later on in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, where Isaac is blessing his sons and he gets to Judah and he says this, 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now Judah probably didn't know at at that time what that truly meant, but looking back we know the scepter uh, that will not depart, we know that is the Messiah to come. We know that the Messiah will be from the line of David, 2 Samuel 7.16. Speaking to David, God says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure and forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And what we read this morning in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. We know that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. If you remember later on in the In the Christmas story, when the Magi, these wise men, come from the east and they come to Jerusalem because when you come uh, to a new country uh, and you are come seeking a king, you come to the capital city. And so they come there and they're looking for the one who is to be born king of the Jews. But he's not there in Jerusalem. But the scribes and the teachers of the law, the chief priests, knew where he was to be born because of the prophet Micah. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old of ancient days. And we'll be looking more about uh, at Bethlehem next week when we light the Bethlehem candle. We know that he was born of a virgin, famous prophecy in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So beautiful. God used prophecy also to reveal things about Christ's life. When we read in Isaiah about the suffering servant in chapter, 40, uh, chapter 53, let me read verses 2 and 3 for you. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we des- should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. That was Jesus' life to the T. We even read prophecies about different aspects of his ministry. Uh, We read on on Palm Sunday when we have this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We read from Zechariah 9 because Zechariah the prophet prophesied about it. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous. And having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, Matthew wrote his entire gospel to the Jews. Luke, as we've been going through, was uh, written toward the Gentiles. But, but Matthew wrote to the Jews. And you cannot hardly go a chapter uh, in, in Matthew without seeing some reference to the Old Testament. Seeing how Jesus fulfills prophecy after prophecy, after prophecy. And we also know what Jesus will bring about, what this Messiah uh, will bring. 
If you keep reading in Isaiah chapter 11, we stopped at verse 5 this morning, but if you keep reading on verses 6 through 10, you have this very famous passage of the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and the leopard with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. And he goes on to describe what it will be like, what kind of kingdom that this Messiah will usher in. So God speaks to his people. He speaks usually through the prophets, uh, most often to warn them regarding their sin, to turn back to the Lord, but also to give them hope regarding the things that are to come, and specifically their Messiah, their Savior who is coming. So what does prophecy teach us? What does it teach us about God and about who God is? Well, this may seem obvious, but it's very important. Prophecy teaches us that God speaks. This is something that can't be lost. We live in a culture today that, first of all, doesn't even believe that God exists. But not only do we have a God that exists, we have a God that actually speaks to us. He speaks to us. This shows us that we have a God who is not apathetic to his creation. Instead, he cares about his creation enough to engage with it, to engage with us. Imagine being a child who is completely ignored by your parents. I hope I'm not striking a nerve with some people. I hope that doesn't describe your childhood, but if it does, you would understand God gives us children to love them and to nurture them, not to ignore them. God does not count us His children and then simply ignore us. Instead, He speaks to us. He is a loving Father who cares about His children. So not only does prophecy show us that God speaks, but it shows us that He speaks with power. Prophecy shows us the power of God. Because God can see the future from the past. In fact, He is so powerful that not only does He see the future from the past, but He has planned the future from the past. This is incredible. Think about it. Nothing surprises God. Nothing happens that causes God to adjust what He is doing so that He can set things right again. Not even the presence of sin and the fall of Adam and Eve was a surprise to God. From the beginning, God's plan has always been there and His plan has been executed. God is powerful to sovereignly control history. I mean, what human being can say hundreds and even thousands of years before something will happen, um, who can predict something and have it play out specifically in detail? You know, with Jesus' triumphal entry, the prophet Zechariah said, he will come riding on a colt on the foal of a donkey. And that is exactly what Jesus did. You know, people make predictions all the time about the future and what life would be like. Uh, If you remember that cartoon that that used to be on called the Jetsons, you know, they had this this imagination of, of what the future would be like. We'd all be, you know, flying around in hover cars, We'd go into these machines that would dress us and then pop out the other side with all our clothes on. We'd have robots who would be you know, bringing our food to us. And uh, who knows, maybe that will be that way in the future. 
uh, but it's certainly not that way uh, almost here in 2015. But God has a plan, and He has the power to execute His plan to perfection. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereignty. Nothing causes God to scramble and come up with a plan B because things aren't going right to adjust to what is happening. No event or nation or person has ever thwarted God's plan because God is sovereign. And we see that through prophecy. Another thing that we see through prophecy is that from the very beginning, from even before creation, it has been all about Jesus. All of history is about Christ. From the beginning, all of Scripture points to Christ. In the Old Testament, we see types of Christ. We see prophecies regarding Christ. All of history is moving towards His coming, the anticipation of His coming to earth. In the New Testament, we see the life of Christ. We see His accomplishments of salvation. We look back on His life. We understand what He has done for us. And we look forward to His return and what that means. Prophecy reminds us that it is all about Christ. From the beginning up until the present, and from the present to eternity and the future, it is all about Him. And prophecy also gives us hope. This is the season of hope. We mentioned last week, uh, and uh, we won't dwell on it too much today, this is so important based on where we are at in history. Last week we said that there are over 300 mentions of Christ's second coming in the New Testament. We mentioned the fact that God is a God who keeps His promises, and because of that we have hope. I'll remind you of Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Just like the Israelites had the hope of their coming Savior, we have the hope of the return of our Savior. He's coming back and that fills us with hope. Because no matter how bad things get, we know that one day everything wrong is going to be made right. That is the hope that we have. So does God use prophecy today? We have these things that God reminds us of through prophecy. Does He use prophecy today? Yes, God still speaks today, but not in the same way. We read from Hebrews chapter 11, verse, or Hebrews 1, verse 1, excuse me, as long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to us to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son you know prophecy is a gift of the spirit but it's different from what we think of like the prophet Isaiah or Jeremiah or or Jonah there is not any new revelation that we have today we look at some people and we say, oh yeah, well those are, that person is like a modern day prophet. Uh, Francis Schaeffer took a good look at the culture around him when he was alive. And he saw the trajectory on which our culture was, was headed. Schaeffer gave warnings regarding the future. 
He saw what was happening in the liberal movement and in the church, and he could see the trajectory where we were headed. He warned that if things continued on this path, then we would become more and more of a, of a relativistic culture. Because he saw that absolute truth was being more and more compromised. That the foundation was being removed. And without a foundation for truth, then he said anything would go. Does that even sound the least bit familiar regarding our culture today? And we can call people like Francis Schaeffer modern day prophets, but the difference between people like Schaeffer and the prophets of old is this. In the past, God used his prophets to speak his revelation. Today, modern prophets simply bring us back to the word of God that has already been spoken. Schaefer was calling us to return to Scripture. He wasn't giving us new Scripture. He was calling us to return. To return to Scripture as our foundation to live biblically. He was calling us to return to something very old. He was calling us to return to the word of God. God speaks to us differently now, as it says in Hebrews 1. He speaks to us through His Son. He doesn't have to speak to us through prophets anymore. His Word has been revealed. We have the Bible. We have His Word. His plan of salvation has been completely revealed to us in a way that is understandable, in a way that is accessible. We have it. He doesn't need to do more. In the Old Testament times, His plan was not fully revealed. When Judah was receiving this prophecy of his scepter not not departing from his line, he didn't know fully what that meant. David didn't know fully what it meant that, uh, that he would have a king on the throne forever. We can look back and we see it. We are in a better position than those men of old, than Judah, than David, than Abraham. We have a better vantage point Because we see what Christ has done. We see how God's plan has played out. God doesn't need to use the prophets anymore because He has spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ. Remember John chapter 1. John the Apostle calls Jesus the Logos. He calls Him the Word. And we have the words of the Word recorded for us. We don't need uh, continuing revelation today. But you know what? Often we say, you know, if God would only speak to me in the way that He spoke to people back then, I really wish that He would. If He would do that, then I would believe, or then I would have faith. I wish that God would send a prophet to me and say, you know, thus says the Lord. But when we say these things, we're only giving excuses for our unbelief and our unwillingness to trust in what God has already provided for us. God has already spoken plainly. He's spoken clearly through His Son, Jesus Christ. If we don't believe it, when it is laid out so plainly and clearly for us, honestly, will we ever truly believe? But here's the reality. God has spoken to us in a way that is accessible that is necessary for us. When we desire God to speak to us differently, when we place ourselves above God, desiring Him to do something different, we're saying that we know better, that we wish that God would reveal Himself in different ways. Instead, we need to be thankful 
for the ways that God does speak to us. And we need to believe in Him when He does speak. So, as we embark on this journey again of Advent, of preparing the way for the coming of Christ at Christmas, let us remember the role that prophecy played in His coming and the role that it plays in our lives today. Let us trust in God and in the truth of His Word. God has fulfilled prophecy in the past. Christ has come. He came to Bethlehem. He came born as a virgin. He came and He suffered as a servant, as Isaiah said in chapter 53. He came to die for our sins. He was crushed. He was afflicted. His blood was poured out for our sins. God has fulfilled prophecy in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has done it in the past, and He will do it in the future. God has said that Jesus will come, and He will. He will crush the head of the serpent. He will, uh, in the end, He will put away all sin and death and hell forever. And because of this, because of this prophecy, because we know that God is a prophecy-keeping God, because of this we live in hope. We have a God who fulfills prophecy. We know that things will not always be this way. That He is making all things new. He has promised to do it. And God always, always keeps His promises. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our loving Father in heaven. Thank you for being a God who always keeps his promises. Thank you for being a God who has known the future from the beginning, who has sovereignly controlled all of history and will sovereignly control all of history to work things out for your glory. Thank you that all of history is about your Son, Jesus Christ. For the love that you have for us in Him. That you have fulfilled prophecy in His first coming, and you will fulfill prophecy again in His second coming. And we long for that day, and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Until that day, fill us with hope. Not only in this season, as we look forward to, to the birth of our King, but always and forever. Lord, fill us with the hope that we have in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name alone that we pray. Amen.